Yes, as our hero is once again climbing out of a river while Frank is presumed dead in the explosion. Yes. I wonder if Matt should put in a request with Melvin to add in some kind of flotation device. (laughs) I mean... He could add it to his ass. No, no, you can't cover that. No. No, I mean, then one, by covering it, he's covering his identity. (laughs) Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our final episode on Daredevil Season 2. Yes, and this is going to be our final episode for a while with Daredevil. Yeah, it's going to take some time before we get to season three. There's an awful lot in between. Yes, before we do that, we certainly have to cover the Defenders. Yeah, and Aim, I'm glad you mentioned that now because this season doesn't really have a hard ending the way season one did. And we should say it's because for those who haven't seen the Defenders, and I'm one of them, It's because a lot of this gets continued in that series. Yes, it does. And if you watch season three without watching The Defenders, you will be a tad lost. Yes, I can attest to that. (laughs) My husband and I were sure that when we started season three of Daredevil, there would be some kind of quick exposition dump as to what happened. No, no, we're just going right into it. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely not like Daredevil proper, where each episode picks up right where the previous episode left off, which is why we find the hand in episode 11 infiltrating the hospital in the creepiest manner possible. Yeah, I mean, they could have just used the lift or the stairs. Yeah, but that wouldn't make this a horror movie, would it? True. Yes. And I must say, because we are recording this today on International Women's Day, Claire Temple is braver than I will ever be in my wildest dreams. (laughs) Yes, and full credit to Karen Page as well. I have no words. I bow down to her guts. They're made of steel. Yeah, she takes it to a new level in these last three episodes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So we have Claire taking on ancient ninja warriors here with whatever's handy, you know. Yeah. And survives. Matt, meanwhile, is taking on a ton of these guys by himself, while Claire is getting roughed up here pretty hard, despite taking care of herself. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, these guys are fucking ninjas. Yeah, a little bit. The fact that she survived and took took them on and survived is amazing in itself. Yeah. So Matt is just desperately trying to get these kids out of here, and Daniel here says something interesting. Don't let him take us back down there. Now, the question is, who is Daniel saying this to? Mm-hmm. Is he saying that to Matt or the ninjas? Yeah, I don't think Daniel or any of the kids are running away from the hat. I think he very much no. wanted to go with them. Yes, they did. They were already in formation. Yeah. Oh, in formation. Oh, that's the way to put it. Yep. 
<laughs> this is the ultimate cult. Yes. Jim Jones had nothing on these fuckers. No, no. This is like not only just psychological brainwashing, but some kind of chemical dependency too. Yes, definitely. Now, Matt returns to the hospital after this crazy attack. And again, I'm split. I don't know if I want to say Matt has the gall to return to the hospital or, yeah, you better get your ass back to the hospital and see how Claire's doing. Yeah, but he should have at least checked in on Foggy. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he has to get that news about uh, Foggy's well-being from Claire. Yeah, and Claire is so done with him. Mm-hmm. I kind of understand where she's coming from because the way Matt is behaving this season, I'm done with him. Yeah, I totally get it. And also to her credit, all of this crazy information he's giving her about the hand, she takes it in stride because she's she seen some shit at this point. Yeah, she has. She's surprisingly calm about this whole thing. And, you know, that's what I would expect from an ER nurse of her caliber. You know, we talked about that with uh, Christine Palmer as well in Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. Matt is in over his head. And he can't do this alone, nor should he have to. She's right about that. But the problem at this point is that he wants to handle it himself. He's always wanted to handle things himself. It's gotten even worse now because Stick is involved. Yeah, true. He doesn't want to swallow that pride. If he was just willing to listen to Claire, she could have got in the rest of the team much earlier and things probably wouldn't have gone quite so badly. It's possible. What I do know is that I'm going to send Claire some brochures. Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> At this point, you just want everyone to leave Hell's Kitchen. Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> And speaking of people who need to just move, Karen is back at the police station after having her apartment shot to pieces. Yeah. Thankfully, she wasn't hurt aside from just some kind of scratch on her arm. Yeah, she's fine. Fine. She's as fine as Wanda yeah. in her bathrobe. Fine. <laughs> I don't know how she's not sitting in a corner just rocking and speaking to herself at this point. That would be me. Me too. In order to protect Frank, who showed up to save her life, Karen goes back to her default of lying her ass off here to now Detective Brett Mahoney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And poor guy. I mean, it's been a rough couple of months, presumably, with, you know, Frank Castle going around shooting everything that moves and <laughs> the whole vigilante thing going on. <laughs> Took you a second. Yeah. <laughs> And now he's got the biggest criminal ever escaping from prison and then again shooting people. And not just anybody, like the DA and all of that. He's tired. Yeah, Brett needs a spa weekend too. More like spa month. And, you know, watching this through again now after two years of doing the show, I can't help but see Brett differently here, or at least the treatment of him. Throughout this whole season, he kind of turns into not a joke of a character, but he's the dupe. Everybody 
Karen, Matt, Frank, the DA's office, all of them are pulling the wool over his eyes in some way, kind of making him look like an idiot. And I have to ask myself now, would the show, would the writers have done this if he was white? That's interesting because in episode 13, when he comes out to speak to Daredevil after he was roughed up by the hand, I actually thought he was a lot like Captain Gordon, Inspector Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. I revoke, I am officially revoking your nerd card. Nope. Sorry. 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 What else could I say? I, I'm, I can't defend myself. No excuse. I actually thought of him as Commissioner Gordon. So, and if you think about it, Commissioner Gordon also doesn't know who Batman is. Sure, people don't quite lie to him as much as Foggy, Karen, and Matt have lied to Brett over here. But, I mean, he's a cop. He, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's not comic relief. No, no. But it's not a good look either. It's not a good look either. But if you replace him with a white guy and keep the character exactly the same, I don't think you'd be talking about him in the same way. I don't think his race matters so much in this circumstance because he's a cop and he's a decent, he's a good, intelligent cop. You're right about that. And, you know, I guess it comes down to a chicken or the egg type of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Casting and having the character versus what's going to be written in the script. It's tough to know. It is. But all I'll say is that for Brett Mahoney, I have nothing but respect for him. And at no point have I thought that he was being made a fool of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is one of the most noble characters on the show. Yeah. So being a good cop, he puts Karen back under police protection. And oh, oh, <laughs> now I'll say the nerve. Matt is waiting for her outside. Mm hmm. And he's standing there so concerned. Oh, yes. Mm hmm. You know, this was a moment where my husband and I wa were watching this together and he could feel me vibrating next to him with rage <laughs> and just moved a little further away on the couch so he wouldn't get the residual Matt Murdock blowback here. Yeah, I'm sure if any of your zoo were around they probably would have gone to find shelter at this point <laughs> uh oh mom's mad <laughs> you know how certain animals know when there's some kind of natural event going to happen like a earthquake or something like that mm -hmm. and they tend to flee this is the scenario yes matt murdoch is just one of the most delusional people You'll ever come across, why didn't you call me? Yeah. I mean, after everything he said and done and the way he pushed everyone away, how the hell do you expect anyone to call you? Yeah. And in terms of reliability, he's about as effective as holding a newspaper over your head in the rain. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it just, when you think it can't get worse or more condescending, Matt declares that Karen cannot take care of herself. Are you going to ask her if she's on her period next, Matthew? <laughs> yeah, at this point, 
his mask is dropping mm-hmm. because he this wasn't Matt Murdock speaking. This was Daredevil speaking. I don't know if there's a difference anymore. Yeah. And you know what, Matt? By all accounts, at least lately, Karen can handle herself better than you. At least she's never been sliced up and thrown in the river by a ninja. You know, honestly, let's give it a couple of more seasons. <laughs> the rate at which she's going, I don't know. So to shut Matt the hell up, Karen tells him the truth about Frank showing up to save her. Mm-hmm. And, oh, did you think Matt was done? Because he's not. Because now it's time to lecture someone else about lying to the police. Just lying in general. He's certainly an expert. Mm-hmm. You know what, like carnivals, when they have that one game where you pick up the big sledgehammer and like bring it down onto the thing and the little bell goes up way high? Right. Yeah, that's Matt doing that right now. And the bell is in the fucking East River. It's the hypocrisy <laughs> meter. Uh-huh. It's not a very fun game at the carnival, but it's there. It's one of those things that you always try and get disappointed with. Just like we are disappointed with Matt right now. But not disappointed in Karen. I'm so proud of her here, standing up to Matt. Mm -hmm. I'm not yours to protect. Yeah, 100%. She had to give it to him. Yes. Not only is Karen going to walk away from Matt, but she's heading right towards the blacksmith. Yeah. And, you know, this is also Matt continuing, due to his own ego, continuing to devalue everyone around him. And I think this is also kind of the downside of superpowers. At least in the fictional realm. Mm -hmm. I guess you could compare it to somebody with like genius level intelligence, a Steve Jobs type, you know, in the real world. Thinking you're above others and failing to recognize their skills and abilities just because they're not superhuman in some way. Yeah. And Steve Jobs actually is a really good example because he was a colossal ass. Yes. You know, it's kind of funny that Steve Jobs... And Matt Murdock didn't actually meet because of Mr. Jobs' fondness for avocados. (laughs) (laughs) And if you look at it, yes, Steve Jobs created Apple, but he was good at selling, whereas he had a team and partners who were good at creating. So Apple became Apple, Steve Jobs became Steve Jobs because of the team that he surrounded himself with. And he didn't realize that and he became a douchebag. It's the same thing with Matt. Matt doesn't realize that he needs his team around him, his people around him. I think George Lucas is probably a good example of that too. Okay. Somebody's yelling at me in their car right now, but that's okay. (laughs) It's true. So Karen's uh, quote unquote protection detail is escorting her back to her hotel room. (sighs) Come on, writers. Come on. These cops assigned to protection duty, they're just going to leave? Yeah. I mean, isn't the point of, isn't the point of police protection for the police to be there to protect? Yeah, I had a hard time swallowing this one. Brett comments on it later about them being terrible cops. It's not enough. Honestly, unless George Costanza is bringing you a chair, you're standing next to that door. Awake. Yeah. I mean, how would they know who's coming and going in a hotel? Yeah. Like Karen, for instance, who just walks out. Yeah. Not even five seconds after they leave. Yeah. 
She didn't even wait for the elevator to make a whole round. <laughs> and what I do appreciate here is right on the heels of Karen standing up to Matt. I was going to say outwitting two male cops, but hardly. The song that's playing is Shining Star. Well done. <laughs> and, you know, I had mentioned last episode that the only time this season that Karen Page is truly safe is when she's with Frank. Yep, true. So it makes sense in this scene here that now Karen is able to kind of decompress and start processing the danger she's in and all the risks she's taking. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. She's processing almost getting murdered next to a mass murderer. And that's where she feels she's the safest. Yeah. I mean, aside from Arnold's Terminator, I can't imagine a better bodyguard. Can you? Nope. I agree. Now, unlike certain people, Marcy cares very much about Foggy's well-being. She really does. She does, yes. As she tries to portray herself as a standoffish and a bitchy person, she isn't. She really does care for Foggy. Yeah, I did not care for her at all in season one, but they did a good job with the little screen time she has. I She grew mm -hmm. on me. Yeah, yeah. And Marcy's bringing with her a little offer. It seems that Foggy's reputation isn't in tatters. Yeah. In fact, people seem to be interested in having a meeting. And we've been talking about this through the whole series. Marcy says to him, you can finally be your own man. Yeah. This conversation was actually really interesting where she was trying to tell him that maybe getting away from Nelson and Murdoch could be the best thing for him, even though he's heartbroken right now because of his friendship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in life, when we have an unexpected situation that happens to us, it could end up being a blessing in disguise. We may just not see it at that time. Yeah. And it also shows that really everybody can see the imbalance in that relationship, but Foggy. Yeah. If he saw it, then it wouldn't be imbalanced. Right. You're exactly right. Because he can't see his own worth. Mm -hmm. And this is true to life, guys. If you have a solid, healthy, supportive circle of friends and they keep pointing out to you that you have a really unhealthy relationship somewhere in your life, listen to them. Look yeah. a little harder. And I think the biggest challenge is willing to open your eyes to it, willing to accept that something is not right. And what I love most, though, about this writing, and it's only something I realized about 10 minutes before we started recording as I was reviewing my notes. This struggle that Foggy has with his confidence, his self-worth in a relationship, traditionally, this is a struggle we would have seen a woman have. This would have been Karen's struggle 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's both interesting and refreshing to see a man having this struggle in a relationship with another man. Yeah, true. And it's platonic. It's essentially a non-romantic marriage. I think that's the best way you can explain a business partnership. Yeah, true. We would know. <laughs> yeah. So while Foggy is getting some good news, poor Claire is getting some bad news. So Claire's in the morgue and they seem to have discovered something funky about one of the ninjas that died. Yeah, not his first time. 
Yeah, he has a little experience dying. <laughs> and thank you, by the way, Claire, for explaining to all the boomers what a Y cut is. <laughs> and explaining where the chest cavity is exposed and, you know, cracked open and all of that. It's not going to work. You know why? No, no not going to work this week. Why? Not after the things I've seen. I currently have a dead body in my basement. Thank you very much. And then she says, I'm the killer. She's admitting it while recording. Well, in this case, I am quite happy to be a murderer, as is my husband. He even said to me last night, that's my little murderer. Had a bit of a mice problem <laughs> here at uh, the Baltimore Sanctum Sanctorum. <laughs> but now we no longer have a mice problem. <laughs> I'm very glad you clarified that because I thought suddenly we are covering the Santa Clarita diet. <laughs> Yeah, and it's absolutely no thanks whatsoever to my useless cat. She was trying to warn you, okay? Give her a <laughs> I can't believe I'm defending a cat. I really like the woman who's playing Claire's boss here, the hospital administrator. I even liked her back in season one, even though we saw very little of her. Yes, and I'm glad that they brought her back. Mm -hmm. In season one, she had maybe two or three scenes with Ben and that's it but they brought her back and they kept that continuity yeah and like you can picture this woman really working in a hospital she is the embodiment of what you would see from somebody in a high stress high pressure job like that you know yeah she felt like a real person she didn't feel like a character no and she's also much like Mitch Ellison the kind of person we want to see in a position mm -hmm. of authority. Yes. We saw her be so compassionate with Ben and his wife in season one. And here she is like a mama bear protecting Claire. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the administrator too, she's in such a tough position here because she does want to protect her best employee. But she, you can mm -hmm. also see she's a decent human being. She knows this isn't kosher. Yeah. She knows that Claire's fucked up. And she also knows that this whole situation is not right. She's balancing a very fine line over here so that Claire doesn't get blamed for everything and made a scapegoat. And at the same time, trying to ensure that the hospital doesn't end up imploding with all this nonsense going on. Yeah, well, Blake Tower is ready to implode, that's for sure. Yes, Blake Tower is panicking and i think he's on his way to find the highest tower he can find yeah i don't blame him agreed there's gonna be a lot of uh liquid trickling down that tower <laughs> <laughs> some plumbing issues yeah make sure he's not in the flood zone <laughs> he is the flood zone it's okay though daredevil's not gonna hurt him he just wants information on the blacksmith yeah and Tower doesn't really have too much information, except that he's a bigwig. The only bit of info the DA's office has is that maybe the blacksmith's biggest competitor will know who he is in Chinatown. Yeah. Gee, I wonder who it could be. <laughs> yeah, a certain lady who you, you were extremely terrified of. And still am. But I'd still rather meet her in a dark alley than Frank Castle, but, you know. I'd rather meet Frank Castle. Well, maybe you can join him at a diner one day with Karen. 
Yeah, sure. Maybe he can teach me something about guns. I had some trouble with this scene too. And it has nothing to do with everything said between Karen and Frank. This is the most wanted man, not just in New York City, but in the state of New York. Okay, he's got to be like FBI top 10 at this point. And his face looks like a hemorrhoid. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, it looked very painful. I don't know how he was speaking. Yeah. You're going to tell me, not only does this waitress not notice him, but she doesn't even react to that face? Well, it's Hell's Kitchen, right? All the bad shit keeps happening over there. She probably thought he's one of those gangsters. I really hate to admit that you have a point, but you're kind of right. Mm-hmm. We have determined that Hell's Kitchen is 80% gangster. Yeah. Add to that, we have the power of the cap. Yes, the cap makes one invisible. And you don't know, maybe she was gay. She probably was looking at Karen all the time. No, that has nothing to do with attraction. If I see somebody whose face looks like chopped meat, I don't care if they're gorgeous or hideous. I'm going to notice. True, but you don't know what she's seen that day. Yeah, that day. <laughs> like, you know, ER nurses, you know, you don't know what they've seen. Well, we do know what Frank sees. And it's that he sees Karen more clearly than Matt ever has. Mm-hmm. Yes. Especially after she could have killed him. And she didn't. Yes, that's true. And I think he sees her more clearly than she does herself. Oh, yeah. Karen's no more a fan of introspection than Matt is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a reason why they keep running towards trouble. Yeah. And uh, Karen, honey, do you really think it's that hard to see that there's something between you and Matt? Please, if you guys were in middle school, they'd have been singing songs about you by now. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think Frank knows who Matt is? No, I'm sure of that. And I'm also sure that Karen loves Matt and she really, really doesn't want to. Yeah. And that makes her even more crazy, you know, because you can't fight it. There are some things in this life you just can't fight and love is one of them. And I give her that much more credit for walking away from him. Because of that. Yes. I have a lot of respect for her because she walked away from Matt. She doesn't know the exact story, but she does know something is not right with him. And this relationship wouldn't have been healthy in any way. Right. As she puts it, he's the kind of man who hurts people. Oh, Karen, you have no idea. Yeah, true. (laughs) But she's kind of on the right track. Oh, yeah. And I'm with Karen here. She feels that Matt is exactly the kind of person you get the hell out of your life. That is the choice healthy people make. Mm -hmm. But uh, Frank has other ideas. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, he goes on to tell her that people you love hurt you. And that's how it should be. And that's what he misses about his wife and family. I don't know. I mean. I agree that Matt and Karen are not good for each other. Mm -hmm. But the way Frank speaks about his family, till this point, we never had any inclination that anything was wrong. But 
the way he speaks, I think it's more about a metaphorical, I miss them so much it hurts. I hope at least. I don't think so. I don't think so at all going by this monologue here. And it's a very well done. It's well executed. Bernthal is fantastic. Yeah. Even though he's got like five layers of prosthetics and makeup on him. Yes. And, you know, I think there's a purpose, a real purpose to this monologue. It helps us pump the brakes a little bit on siding with him. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because the further away Matt pushes us, because not only is he pushing away everyone in his life, he's pushing away the audience too. Yes. The further we get from Matt, the closer we get to Frank. And this put a hard stop on that for me, which I think is a good thing because we can't be completely on Frank's side. We just can't. You know, for someone who has been through toxic relationships, this would be a hard stop. Absolutely. But in the media as a whole, this tends to be seen as a romantic perspective. So I don't know if it was intentional for the writers to put it in that way, that this is unhealthy warning signs, or rather this is their way of trying to show us that he was so in love with his family, that there was so much devotion and emotional charge in this relationship. Well, I'll say this. So I've known both abusive and healthy relationships. My husband and I were just married uh, 10 years last week. And I agree with Frank in the idea that the people you love the most have the power to hurt you the most. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But they shouldn't want to hurt you. Yeah. And if they keep hurting you over and over the way Matt does with Karen or the way Frank says his wife did to him, you got to cut them out like a fucking tumor. Unless you're, you know, willing to do the work, get into counseling, all that kind of thing. Otherwise, uh uh, we're done. That's not healthy. That's not loving. Yeah, true. So, uh, Karen gets a little comeuppance here, doesn't she? Yeah. Frank tells her to go hide, and that's when she realizes she's being used as bait. Yeah. And she's pissed about it. Well, anybody would. Well, two things, though. One, she has stated unequivocally, She'll do whatever it takes to get to the bottom of all this. True. And, uh, hi, Karen. This is essentially what you did to Ben. But she didn't use him as bait. No, but... And it was unintentional sort of breadcrumbs that she left with him. No, but she brought him into a situation without any kind of disclosure and put him in danger that led to his murder. I'm, what I'm saying is there was lying and subterfuge involved. Yeah, I agree. So I just didn't think she had much right to be angry here. And I don't mean that's bad writing. It's it's not, not at all. It's mm -hmm. just more yeah. layers of gray on Karen Page. Yeah, true. Now it's time for Matt to go see Madame Gao. I do love her as much as she scares me. <laughs> yeah, she has a certain charisma to her and you know for a few seconds i thought it was racist or stereotypical to have madame gao's like front be a dry cleaners but then i realized it was actually kind of brilliant because she's playing into the stereotype of the little old asian lady running cleaners running a laundromat 
who would think twice about it? Yeah, well, firstly, I don't think this is the only front she has. And it seems like she's literally living underground over here since Matt did everything that he had to do. So I don't think she's actually running the dry cleaners. It's, you know, her goons that are doing it. And this is just one of those places that she's safe till Matt found her. And, you know, she also brings us back to what you, to something you said in uh, our episode on The Amazing Spider-Man 2. If only she could have just made some money from her art, been allowed to spread her artistic wings. Maybe she wouldn't have yeah, become a supervillain. Yeah, she was actually villain. really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Iron Fist, we will get to know a lot more about her. One day. Silly Matt. She never left the city. Yeah, it's basically like what Elektra told him, that the Yakuza never left either. He's so naive. Still. Yeah. But Madame Gao was willing to play ball here in Matt's quest for the blacksmith because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. He's finally thinking strategically. Yes. But too little too late. But she is able to tell Matt that the blacksmith's heroine comes in by ship. Just don't know which one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if she knew, it would have been taken care of already. Yeah. Don't worry, though, because Frank is in the process of finding out. Oh, okay. Let me say this. Frank annihilating these guys who show up at the diner. Mm -hmm. Beating the shit out of this other guy for information on the blacksmith. Mm -hmm. Boy, did I pick the wrong time to be eating a few slices of deli turkey. (laughs) Yeah, because at that point... The dude's skin Ah! was pretty much peeling off his Ah! face. (laughs) It looks like a filleted chicken cutlet. I can't. I can't. Did I keep Mm -hmm. eating? Yes. But I can't. Well, by comparison then, Frank looked better. At least he didn't have open sliced cheekbones. Low par. (laughs) With Frank, it always is. Yeah, so not a surprise here. The guy gives up the location of the ship, as you do. Well, he knew that doing that would end his misery. He just didn't realize how. Yeah. Yeah. So Frank takes off for the ship while Karen calls Brett directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At this point, she should get some kind of like police punch card. You know, like how you can go 10 visits to Subway or something, get a free sandwich. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not sure what they could give her. Maybe, oh, five punch cards uh, for being a good citizen and you get a parking ticket paid or a free parking pass. There you go. Or if you've been in more than three incidents, you get you get counseling for free for three sessions. <laughs> yeah, I think that might work a little better. At least it's confidential. Yeah, because God knows she needs therapy. Back at the hospital. Claire just can't take the shit anymore. And I don't blame her. Yeah. So her superior is trying to protect her and not get her fired. But Claire manages to do that all on her own. Yeah. And I mean, this is the real world. The hospital goes into cover-up mode. Let me tell you, people, no organization or entity can cover their asses faster than a fucking hospital. True. Yeah. It's kind of their job. 
The secrets they keep and the shit they cover up, ugh, it's despicable. Mm-hmm. They rival the Catholic Church in that regard. You hear that, Murdoch? I'm talking to you. <laughs> but this is the real world. You know, the administrator can only go, go so far. I don't know about you, but I need my job. Yeah, and she has a point. She's the one who's trying to balance everything. And really, what do they have? They've got no records on anything. It's Claire's word against this whole hospital establishment. Yeah, and one of the reasons why they probably want to keep her on is having her on the job will compel her to keep quiet. Yes. Whereas if they fire her, then she's under no obligation to keep quiet. In fact, she could go to the press immediately. Exactly. And this scene shows exactly why Claire has helped Matt as much as she has. They do have a lot in common because look at her. Her trying to take on this whole hospital by herself is no different than Matt trying to take on the hand by himself. Yes, true. Nonetheless, Matt could learn a lot about real principles from Claire because there's also a good chance now that she'll be blackballed by this administration. Yeah, it's possible. They might try to do their best to discredit her to everyone who will listen. Yeah, and it's likely that they would do that because they don't know what she's going to go around telling people. Mm -hmm. And this gave her an opportunity to go around and collect everyone to bring together the defenders. Yeah, this asshole giving her orders. He's a real Cornelius fudge. I just got to, uh, to order of the Phoenix, everyone. I apologize. So now we head to the pier waiting for the blacksmith. I can, there's no way I can say blacksmith's shipment quickly. Not going to happen, everybody. You said blacksmiths. No, not blacksmith. Can't do it. Can't do it. Waiting for the heroine to come in. How's that? <laughs> Frank gets there first. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of more efficient in getting information, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And it's goon killing time, everybody. Yes, it is. We're going to soak this bitch in gasoline. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure about the logic of a gunfight after the gasoline has been poured. Yeah, Frank isn't necessarily thinking logically right now. No, he isn't. Clearly, we can see he's, he's kind of losing it. Yeah, because it's obvious this guy he finds on the ship is not the blacksmith. This is not a fake out. This is not a Hans Gruber villain here. Uh-uh. Yeah, and he's telling him, tell me you're the blacksmith. Tell me you killed my family. He knows it. He knows it's not true, but he just kind of wants it to be over. Yeah, he's so tired mm -hmm. and desperate. This is the closest he's gotten. He can't lose now. Yeah. And I'm a broken record, but Matt shows up and has the nerve. <laughs> to tell Frank, I want the blacksmith just as much as you. Dude, you need to shut up. He just doesn't get it. No. He has to have an obsession, even if it's manufactured. Yeah. And at this point, his primary obsession with the hand has been forgotten because he has to interfere with this situation. Mm hmm. And Frank just loses it here with Matt because deep down, he knows Matt's right. This guy isn't the blacksmith. 
Yeah, he isn't. But he's also frustrated with Matt for interfering. Yeah. And again, Bernthal is at his best here when he goes full maniac. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This fight here between the two of them, it reminds me on a much darker and more serious level of uh, the Avengers when Thor, Tony and Cap fight each other a few few minutes like idiots. (laughs) This is a moment where I just think, men. I would actually think this is closer to Tony and Cap's fight in Civil War. Ah, good call. Yep, you're right. But again, the sentiment still stands. Men. Agreed. And Bernthal here saying how he wants them dead, permanent, finished. Man, this is De Niro in The Untouchables when he's talking about killing Elliot Ness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to address something here that I realized might confuse people. So back a couple episodes, I had said that I can't stand gang shit, mafia shit, all that stuff and their stupid rules and machismo. But at the same time, I've realized that I do mention the untouchables and the Godfather Mm -hmm. sometimes. So I just want to clear this up because it might sound contradictory to some people. So as for the untouchables, I hate myself for loving that movie. I really do. It is so cheesy and heavy handed. And my God, Connery's death scene in that movie is one of the most ridiculous on-screen deaths I have ever seen. They gave him an Oscar for it. Whatever. But De Niro's performance in that movie is incredible. And I see so much of it and De Niro in Bernthal. And as for The Godfather, well, all right, confession time. I hate The Godfather, everyone. There, I said it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, half the world's population now has a vendetta against Chris. And that's exactly why I have never expressed my actual feelings about it. Now, this has nothing to do with the quality of the movies. I am not disputing that in any way, despite the horrific misogyny in Godfather 1 and 2. But that's why I never say anything, is because when people hear you hate the Godfather, they think one of two things. Either one, you're an idiot, or two, you're just a troll, contrarian, looking for attention. When neither is the case. I have my own reasons, even aside from the misogyny, for not liking it, not enjoying it. Nonetheless, there are just so many parallels in pop culture. You know, it offers archetypes on so many things. And it's something that people know. And when I see those comparisons, my brain is compelled to have them come out of my mouth. Yeah. And something like The Godfather is such an influential movie. Exactly. Unintentionally, even writers may bring in certain aspects. Of course. Yeah. So it has to be said. So as far as teamwork goes, yeah, that's a no for Frank. (laughs) I love the fact that when Matt is trying to talk Frank down from not killing that one dude and says, oh, you know, maybe it's okay. Your way is okay. He does the cross before he even says that. Like, dude, come on. Well, at least Matt is used to getting thrown into a river by now. Yeah, yeah. At least this time, his organs are not quite so exposed to the elements. Yeah. Yeah. So when more goons show up, we get our first clue about the blacksmith's identity. Because one of these guys says, it's been a long time, hasn't it, Frank? 
Yeah. And at this point, I think after everything that happens and while Frank is probably taking a dip in the water, he starts putting things together. Yes. So now we head over to Stick's lair, where his own goons are reporting on Electra's timely murder of Jock. Yeah. I have no sympathy for him. He brought this on himself. Jock or Stick? Stick brought it on himself by sending Jock. Yes. Yeah, because she's on the warpath now. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I had no idea what Stick was planning. No idea how I felt about him. I made my feelings for him very clear. Yes, you no have. No matter what. Oh, yes. Yes, check out our full uh, season one commentary series on Daredevil for that one, guys. For Amy's full fleshed out thoughts on Stick. <laughs> Stick the dick. But Electra isn't quite done with Stick's goons as she finds one more to stab here. Two. She manages to stab both of them. Right. In a matter of seconds. And that's where we leave off for now. Yes, as our hero is once again climbing out of a river. While Frank is presumed dead in the explosion. Yes. I wonder if Matt should put in a request with Melvin to add in some kind of flotation device. (laughs) I mean... He could add it to his ass. No, no, you can't cover that. No. No, I mean, then one, by covering it, he's covering his identity. (laughs) That's a very good point. And two, generally, there's always this joke of when women have breast enhancement surgery, they could be flotation devices. This time it's Matt's ass. That's the flotation device. I cannot argue with that logic. So Karen is trying to take all of this in, not sure what she thinks about Frank's alleged death here while Brett and the cops are seizing this giant shipment of heroin. Yeah, she's obviously shaken up and I think she's pretty heartbroken. Absolutely. She developed some very strong feelings for Frank in a short time. Yeah, and considering the amount of media exposure Frank has and the way He's been portrayed as this relentless killing machine. She's also personally had dealings with him where he's just this nonstop thing. Just He keeps going. At this point, it's hard to believe that he's just human and that he could die. That's a really good point. And you know, Ms. Page, maybe you should take a closer look at the men you're drawn to and what that says about you. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine what her dating profile would look like if it was real? Serial killers prefer. (laughs) So Foggy and Claire meet each other upon leaving the hospital here. And I really just wanted them. I just wanted them to hold hands and hop on a plane together. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the same thing to do for both of them. But Foggy has a lead on a potential job. And he has Marcy, who is a supportive friend at this point. But Claire is riding by the seat of her pants right now. Yes, she has her own mission, but we won't be covering that today. And in in classic Daredevil fashion, we close out episode 11 with blood, blood, and a little more blood. Mm -hmm. That was half the budget this season, blood. 
We've got blood in tubs. We've got blood in cars. Take your pick. Showrooms over here. <laughs> so yeah, the kids are being bled out in those tubs. Exsanguinated. And that is one of the worst words in the English language. I hate it. Okay. But they were being exsanguinated. And I hate you. <laughs> And in our final scene here, we have Matt in his apartment hearing a car driving like a bat out of hell toward his building. And I got to say, this goon with his dying breaths, dying actions, seeking out Matt and letting him know that Electra is going to kill Stick. This is some serious loyalty. Yes, it is. But I was also wondering, why the hell did he just not call Matt and die in peace? and? potentially not kill other people on the road like while he was driving like a maniac oh i'd like to see you think logically while you're dying missy really but at no point did he think maybe i'm too far maybe i should just call him maybe i won't make it dying that's good enough for me (laughs) you know honestly when i saw that car coming in the first time i saw it i actually thought that was stick driving because he was driving like on the on the footpath and, you know, it seemed like the car had been in some kind of accident before that. So Stick being blind would probably have had trouble driving. Oh, that didn't occur to me. No, Stick is busy uh, getting his swords ready, you know, as you do. Yep. I have to say that you need to do a little more to get the blades sharper. He was he did just one pass. Not good enough. Well, it's not like he has time because here's Electra. Time to die, old man. <laughs> All right. So episode 12 is Electra's backstory. And put your true crime caps on for this one, everybody. <laughs> yes. So we start off with young Electra, who is training and Stick is guiding her. Yeah, this discussion is going to get a little icky. Because this episode is a little icky. This whole show is pretty icky in various ways. Yeah. Yeah, this is different, though. Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear on this. This little girl, excellent job she does. Little actress. Great casting. Yes. She looks like an absolute psycho. Which means she did a good job, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Nothing against the actress. I am talking about the character. This is not normal in any way in terms of what a child should be capable of true so this gives us a hint that she's not exactly normal or natural yeah so stick is in charge just watching as these grown men beat up this little girl Mm -hmm. now i know how you feel about stick and i know that some people might look at this and see him as a monster and that's i think kind of a knee-jerk reaction but i look at this kid and their relationship that we're going to see. And I see Stick as trying to save this little girl from herself and also protect society at the same time because he knows what she is. I think she was going to kill people no matter what. And Stick was trying to give her a way to channel that homicidal rage and energy into something for the greater good. I think in that way, he's a lot like Dexter Morgan's father. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
teaching him the code. Yeah. You know, he recognized what was in this child. And I mean, the serial killers we see, you know, as adults, some of them were born that way. What do you do with a kid psychopath? You know, what was little Teddy Bundy's family supposed to do when he was four years old, the day his aunt woke up from a nap and he had put knives all around her in the bed? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah, I agree with you on one thing. I don't think that Stick is a monster over here. I pers- I don't have a problem with him training Electra. Although there is that one aspect of he knows what's inside her and he's giving her the tools to be more effective in one- on one hand. Yes, ju- again, like Dexter's father. Right. On the other hand, he is trying to channel her murderous tendencies. Let's just go with that. But I feel like he ends up stopping just short of going the full mile. And he does exactly the same thing with Matt. Mm -hmm. When he genuinely starts caring for these kids, he runs away. No, see, I think Electra is the reason he ran away from Matt. His relationship with Electra, as we'll see, is much different with Matt. He is much more loving and kind with Electra. And I think that's why he failed with her. He cared too much. And I think he was worried about making the same mistake with Matt. He didn't have the heart to do what truly needed to be done with Electra. He cared about her, which is why he was trying to channel this instead of um, maybe doing what he really should have done and killed her. Well, here's the thing. I don't know about the black sky and if there's anything in the comics about it and the mythology associated with that. But there is a good chance that the black sky is born once every generation. Kind of like a slayer is. Oh, okay. Thank you for that analogy. That helps. So what if stick killing Electra would just lead to him having to search for the black sky all over again? And do all that all over again. That would make sense in this mythos, in this context. And I desperately wanted more information about it because that's what it all comes down to, right? Is Mm -hmm. who's telling the truth about this? What's real, what's not? And I'm inclined to think, given how solid this show is and the writing is, that they kept it ambiguous on purpose. Yes, I think they did. It is equal parts frustrating and compelling. It is. And honestly, it doesn't matter what's in the comics about the hand because Mm -hmm. you can't expect everybody to read the comics to know what happened. That's not what this show is about. You know, these shows, these movies are still accessible to everyone. So they can't make those kind of assumptions that will all just know what the hand is, what the black sky is. What matters is what we're presented with in the show. Yes. And aside from this, At no point do we feel like we're missing out if we haven't read the comics. I haven't read any Daredevil comics at all. And I don't feel like I'm missing out in any way. This is purely because we are analyzing so much is why this whole thing came up regarding the comics and the mythos of the the hand and black sky. Yeah. So back in present day, Elektra and Stick are in a fight to the death here. Now, in her defense, I would also be pissed if someone tried to have me killed. Yeah, that's fair. 
I mean, he literally poked the bear. Yes. Yeah. But I also understand Stick's point of view. Right now, he sees this as like Cujo. He's putting down a rabid animal that's a danger to society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Stick says something here that really struck me, and it's supposed to. Okay. He says that he tried to housebreak Electra, which is something you Mm -hmm. say about a dog. Right. And later in this episode, we are going to see young Electra referred to numerous times as it. Yeah. Though it's tough to hear, I didn't see this as misogynistic in any way because this isn't about gender. Stick doesn't care about gender. He doesn't see Electra as a woman. He sees her and always has as an animal, a predator. And I do think that if she happened to be a boy, they would still refer to him as it. Yes, I agree with that. If the show had not been written as well as it is, it would have come across as incredibly misogynistic. But this isn't so much about the line itself that he tried to housebreak her. It's more about him trying to instigate her to make her lose control so that she attacks him, not rationally, not efficiently, so that he can get the upper hand. Right. Right. And this is a mind game that he's playing with her. Yeah. And it's good strategy. It is. And can we stop with the swords and daggers? I can't take any more knives these days. Okay. Well, all the knives are out. It's hard to tell who he's even fighting who at points. <laughs> so when the hand shows up and takes sick, I'm like, okay, fine, fine. Just stop with the knives. I don't think you'd be fine with it maybe 15 minutes later when we see him being tortured. Oh, you couldn't give me 15 minutes more of peace? You had to put that in my mind now? Yes, I did. <sighs> I do love troubling you so much. So Stick is often kidnapped and Matt wants Electra's help in saving him. Yeah, and I get where she's coming from. Yeah, I mean, Matt's dad was called Battle and Jack Murdoch. I think if Matt were a boxer, he'd be waffling Matt Murdoch. Yeah, and she's incredibly surprised and frustrated because she knows that Stick has been an absolute dick to Matt. Yeah, yeah. Why do you want to save him? He doesn't even believe the whole hand thing. What is wrong with you, Matt? Yes, Matt will believe whatever suits his agenda in the moment. Yeah. And then, okay, I think this is what, number five for the episode? Matt has the nerve (laughs) to say to Electra. This isn't about you. Oh, you are a piece of work, sir. The whole mythos is about her. This whole season has been about her. But of course, Matt can't seem to get his head out of his ass. Well, I mean, it's got that flotation device around it now, so it's a little tougher. Maybe he needs a flotation device around his neck so that he can at least look up. It's a good point. And the way Matt's acting here, even though she's a friggin' psychopath, I'm kind of on Electra's side here and I just want him to get the fuck out of her way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Even though I agree with Stick. That's how mad I am at Matt. (laughs) That he's making me agree with Electra. She's right at this point. He's just basically getting in everyone's way at this point. 
Franks, Electras. He should just go take a nap and let everyone do their thing. Yeah, like this just became a game of Mario Kart where Matt's just racing to different places trying to beat people there first. So the next morning, Karen's still at the river thinking, I don't know, Frank's just going to climb out of the water. Yeah, if he does, and if he's been underwater for so long, he's got some serious lung capacity. Gillyweed! I really have to stop this. That is the uh, stuff that Harry eats at the end of Goblet of Fire to make it through the lake at Hogwarts. Yes, I'm banning Harry Potter (laughs) references for the rest of this episode. So because Karen remains as curious as my co-host, she makes note of the uh, dead blonde guy that she sees. And we'll remember him as the guy who yelled out to Frank when they showed up. Yeah, and he's also wearing an eye patch. Yeah, and though the cops really want to believe Castle's dead, not all the bodies have been identified yet. They're all burned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's presumed dead at this point. And frankly, considering how tired Brett Mahoney is, he would want him to be dead just so that it's all over. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't blame him for trying to tie a bow on this one. Tying a bow on this one is the equivalent of taking a slab of meat and putting a bow on it. It's not going to stink any less. Yeah. So we haven't seen the law firm in a little while, and we're heading back there now. And Eldon Henson is great in this scene. Mm -hmm. This is a Foggy Nelson we haven't seen before. Yeah. It almost seems like he's standing a bit taller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that weight around his neck has been lifted. Yeah. Which he didn't even realize was around his neck. Yeah. This Foggy has confidence. This Foggy knows how good of a lawyer he is. And it's because he has detached now, mentally and emotionally, and now legally, from Matt. Yeah. I think him getting shot was probably the best thing that happened to him. Yeah. In some ways. I mean, near-death experiences will do that, and Foggy certainly had enough of them at this point. About time. (laughs) Yeah. And I love it here when Matt says to him, You're the heart of this place. I love it because while Foggy deserves to finally hear this, he doesn't need it. And that's a key part of his journey. I mean, it's certainly nice to hear when someone you care about appreciates you. This ends up making me wonder just how appreciative or how verbal was Matt in the past with his appreciation for Foggy. Mm -hmm. And I think that also comes down to men. Yes. But before they part ways, Foggy tells Matt about abandoned subway tunnels. File that under convenient childhood stories, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. So that helps Matt incredibly. Yeah. And great piece of writing to tie up this scene when Matt asks Foggy if he wanted him to convince him to give another shot. I was hoping you would relieved that you didn't yeah i think that was a moment where where foggy probably realized that he's better off without matt yeah not only is he doing what's best for himself but i also think he could do more good in a real firm with reliable people around him yes and also remember nelson and murdoch the whole idea of that the idea of helping people and all of that was matt's idea Mm -hmm. 
he was the one who convinced Foggy to leave in the first place. You're absolutely right. That doesn't make Foggy a bad person. Foggy certainly does care about people. And we saw he really was into helping people. And he will continue to help people in any way that he can in if he continued to be a lawyer. But he didn't want to go down this route in this way. Right. And the problem with Matt was his whole philosophy there. He likes it more in theory than in practice. Yeah. He likes it in theory. But when it comes to practice, he doesn't want to do it as a lawyer. He wants to do it as Daredevil. Yes. So while Foggy takes his next steps in his new life, Matt heads into the sewer to round up the Ninja Turtles and find Master Splinter. <laughs> I mean, stick. <laughs> I love the scene where he falls in through the manhole and we have the light focusing on him only. Really well-framed shot. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, Matt's definitely not consuming the copious amounts of pizza that the turtles do. Not with those apps. So over at the New York Bulletin, Karen is a hot mess, but still manages to look better than I have on my best day. (laughs) But she's finally cracking here. It's about time. Yeah. And I'm not quite happy with the way she's treating Mitch. It's not like he lets that stop him. Yeah, that's true. How many times has this woman almost died in the last 48 hours? Think of the stress. Yeah. Think of all of that. Yeah, I agree with you. But she's taking it out on someone who doesn't deserve it. Of course she is. She's human. Yeah. Granted, he's not letting her do it. But also, this comes down to what she's been used to with Matt and Foggy. Foggy, especially. Because she was used to running the show over there, even though she wasn't the one in charge. Mm-hmm. She's usually the one doing the handling, not the one being handled. Yeah. And in this case, Mitch knows exactly how to handle her. Yeah. For him, she's Ben Yorick part two. Yeah. Who says you can't still write about Frank, Karen? Dig in. Write a profile. Mm-hmm. And this is our second bit of blacksmith foreshadowing. Go talk to people who knew Frank. Yeah. And this is when Karen also understands, as Mitch says, this is her home now. Yeah. For better or worse, that woman was born to be an investigator. That is true. And she finally has a stable place where she can do it and a structured environment where Mitch will be able to pull her in if needed. So while Matt is being attacked by the hand down in the tunnels, Karen is heading into equally dangerous waters. Mm -hmm. As soon as Colonel Schoonover opened that door and Clancy Brown appeared again, I knew for sure he was the blacksmith. Yeah. You don't bring him on for nothing. No. And what a job he does playing the wholesome war hero family man. Yeah, he's very charismatic in that way. Yeah, I was just freaking out the entire time watching this. This is Clarice Starling going to see Jame Gum at the end of Silence of the Lambs. We know she has no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all going fine. Karen's asking some questions, wants to do this nice piece on Frank. Everything's nice and calm. And boom, she sees the dead blonde guy in a picture. Yeah, she connects the dots. 
And it all comes full circle. Yeah, she tries to hide it, but who could? Yeah, true. And at this point, the colonel also knows that he can't talk his way out of this. No. And he's just such a fucking disgrace. And I mean that in the best way possible because of Clancy Brown. He is so Mm -hmm. self-righteous here trying to play the disillusioned soldier. Fuck that. You're a crime boss, buddy. And the fact that he's dealing heroin makes it even worse. What a hypocrite. Because how many veterans end up addicted to drugs because of lack of resources and treatment after combat? Just look at Vietnam alone. How many men got addicted over there to begin with? It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And it only makes us have more contempt for him. So well done, writers. Yes. And we're genuinely afraid for for Karen's safety. But at the same time, I thought, this is Karen Page. She'll get out of this. She'll find a way. Yeah, true. I was never worried that she would be killed off. I was never concerned that he would win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can't. A guy like this winning in a show like this, it, it's not right. It's just not right. And Karen should probably change her species to a cat because she doesn't have nine lives at this point she has like 18 (laughs) she's doctor who (laughs) so uh matt is still down in the tunnels honestly he should just move down there at this point maybe um you know get a place with kurt connors yeah they could have some interesting philosophical discussions about humanity and saving or improving humanity sure and i think this is great reminding us that stick has the same abilities matt has and really just showcasing scott glenn here stick can Mm -hmm. sense matt he hears him and he's talking to him guiding him through and it's very fatherly it is and he's warning matt they drop their weapons they're masking their heartbeats so stick tells him to track their breath yeah that's cool It is. But if that logic needs to apply, then every time these ninjas are moving to try to punch, they're moving at a certain speed, then Matt should have been able to hear the the whooshing of the air. Whatever. To stop that. Whatever. It's cool. (laughs) It's cool, but I mean, if you really want to put logic to it. Yes. Let's uh, put logic to the uh, ancient cult of resurrected ninja warriors who are exsanguinating children and shoving bamboo shoots under old men's fingernails you said exsanguinating uh, I'm proud of you. oh they they were bamboo shoots they were something i assumed they were bamboo shoots i thought there was some kind of blade i don't know it's bad enough whatever it is i will admit at this point yes i did cringe uh, it was uncomfortable i was squirming in my chair have you ever had anything no, go under no, your nail? Nope, 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 nope. It's not pleasant. No, no, it is not. Or even, you know, breaking your nail through the nail bed. It's not pleasant at all. Then you don't have a nail. Yeah. Despite all this pain, though, this torture, Stick still tells Matt he's proud of him. Meanwhile, Colonel Schoonover is driving Karen out of the woods at gunpoint. If you have a name like Schoonover, you kind of are a bad guy by default, right? 
Yeah. I've never heard this name before. It's definitely like a white bread hero kind of name. Tropey kind of name. Okay. All right. And this asshole thinks he has the advantage because he has a gun, but he has no idea who he's dealing with. Yeah. But at this point, she is trying to figure out a plan. She's going along. Yeah. But James Wesley also had a gun, didn't he? We all know how that turned out. (laughs) And when Karen starts the car, oh God, what a great moment this is. Shining Star is blasting from the radio. Yes. This is where we realize that this is Frank leaving a message for her. He's around. What a great plant. And it's also a reminder to us that Karen can handle herself. Yes, she can. And that's when we get the collision. She's looking out because she knows Frank is around somewhere. She knows something's going to happen. I don't think she was expecting to be T-boned. No. But Frank is improvising here. Yes. And uh, so are Sticks Torturers back at the lair. But man, he's not giving up a thing. This is one tough son of a bitch. Yeah, and he also knows that Matt is on his way. He's only like a room away. Oh, still. God. True. Did you like the way... <laughs> so after these guys, the torturers, put the bamboo shoots and knives or whatever under his nail beds, he moved his hand. It kind of looked like those fake nails, ah! those exaggerated fake nails. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> so matt finally reaches stick frees him and i got a little choked up when he says you did good kid you did good he's always been proud of matt yeah i mean this is odin syndrome though you know a little too little too little too late there yeah too little too late and if he's proud of him telling him would have helped Matt so much more than telling him now. Yep. And not only that, like he told him he's proud of him. He hugged him and they're walking out and then Electra shows up and he immediately has this and he says it with such disdain. You let her track you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's I mean, he's not wrong either. He's not wrong, but you can't go from I'm proud of you in one second to having that kind of a tone with him, it almost seems like he's saying he's proud of Matt only because he saved him. It's a matter of convenience and selfishness. I didn't really see it like that. I saw it as more analogous to just, you know, everyday life with certain families, you know, let's say adult children, you know, bringing mom the bouquet of flowers for Mother's Day. Oh, how nice you got me flowers. Oh, it's tulips. You know, I like the roses. Oh, but these are just as good. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's passive aggressive. And even though that's common in, you know, families, that doesn't mean that it's okay. No, but um, I wouldn't exactly call these three family. I don't know what to call them in relation to each other. We've established that. Stick has dropped a number of balls. So, again, the the bar is low. Yes, the bar is low. And 
I have no love for steak, so of course I'm going to look at it from a negative perspective. Yes, yes. And just when we think it's time for these three to have their fucking showdown, nope, Nobu arrives. Yeah, he can't miss all the fun. Yeah, and now we get another flashback. Again, this show and their flashbacks, so well done. Mm -hmm. We never know where Electra came from, how Stick found her. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the season, we always heard that Electra was a diplomat's daughter. And now we're finding out that she isn't biologically their daughter. She's adopted. Yeah. So this guy that she had almost killed earlier in a training session comes to take her out. And I kind of can't blame him. Everybody can see what she is. Yeah. Everybody knows what she is, but I also think this is more to do with the guy's ego because he got beat by a little girl. You may be very right about that. That's a really good point. But I also think a little bit in his defense here, what's to stop her from killing him? Which she does. Yeah. He probably thought he was better prepared this time. Or maybe the dude that was speaking to Stick told him to go and kill her. Yeah, very possible. Mm-hmm, I hadn't thought of that. There are various choices over here, you know. Yeah. We don't know why he did it, but there are different possibilities. Yeah. So here's where we have Sticks associate referring to Electra as it, as that thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is more evidence that this child isn't exactly human. Yeah. She's a vessel more than anything. Yeah. And, you know, here's my argument for Stick caring too much about her for loving this kid. He flat out kills this dude to protect her. Yes. And he also refers to her as she. Yeah. Not it. He does. Yeah. Even though he knows who she is or what she is, he still sees her as a little girl. And back in the present day, Electra says, call me it again and I'll cut you in half. That about sums up her feelings on the situation. Yeah, understandable. And Stick is calling her it now, again, to provoke her, to get her emotional. Yeah. Just like he did in the other confrontation that, we, that he had with her. Yeah. And things get really murky for me from this point on. I think they took things a little too far with the ambiguity. I'm fine with not getting any more on Electra's backstory, but I needed more information about what the hell Black Sky is. This greatest living weapon. What are the stakes here? What Mm -hmm. can she do? What is the point of the hand having her? I haven't seen the Defenders, but regardless, I shouldn't have to go watch another show to find out. Well, It is leading up to that. It is telling us that we will need to go and watch The Defenders. Because it's like, you know, the MCU movies. We see the origin stories of all of them. And then if we don't see the Avengers, the ensemble series, then we don't know what's happening beyond that in the other movies. Yeah, I guess you're right. You are right. But I think with this, they needed to be clearer on this show about the stakes, about her character. And because, you know, this is 12 and 13 episodes in, I'm a little exhausted with it. 
So I really mm-hmm. need yeah. I really needed that information to like satisfy my brain because I just don't know how to feel about Electra and her choices in the end. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. And for someone who hasn't seen The Defenders, it's perfectly understandable for you to be confused or not get it because it is it is very vague. It is very ambiguous. And at the end of it all, what does that big hole have to do with anything in the first place? Yeah, there's just not enough of a resolution. Yeah, there is no resolution. That's the point. Yeah, It's a cliffhanger of a season, except it continues in another show. Yeah, and Matt's flip-flopping continues here too. At this point, I have no idea what he actually believes about anything. All he's... He's spiraling. Yeah, right now. All he seems to care about is not killing and not being responsible for someone's death. But like there's more to life than just not dying. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like um yeah. It's like episode 5 of Loki. What's your plan? Don't die. What's your plan? Don't die. That's not a plan. That's just a general demand of living. You know? <laughs> right. In this case for him He's willing to just do anything and everything and dance like a monkey as long as nobody dies. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to understand that with a cult like this, with the hand and they've got ninjas and he doesn't need to worry too much about that because apparently they're mortal anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal, Matt. They're going to do over. What is that called? Respawn. Did I get one? (laughs) Yes, you did. did. Congratulations. I got it. I got it. Look at me. (laughs) And if you have an opponent who is willing to play dirty, who's willing to kill, if you're not willing to go the length, you're bound to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, he's only trying to save Electra for himself. Because not only does he not want to feel guilty about her death, but he thinks if she can be good, so can I. That and also he doesn't want Electra to kill Stick. Yes. And he thinks that she's still redeemable. Despite the fact that two episodes earlier, he told her to leave because he knows that she loves killing too much. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the past, we see Electra being placed for adoption with this ambassador and his wife. Mm Mm-hmm. And we see, again, Stick trying to protect her here. Wasn't it odd seeing him in a suit? Yeah, it was. And it didn't fit him perfectly. I think they did that purposely to make him look like he's uncomfortable. Probably. Yeah, it was too big for him. Yeah. And Stick tells her, one day someone will come for her and everything will change. Yeah. And that day is today in present day. Do you think Stick was the only person who ever cared about her? Who ever showed her love as a child? Growing up, yes. But I do think that she had a loving adopted family. Because after that, she has gone around and killed a lot of people. And I think they have been covering it up for her. You would call that a loving family? Okay, that didn't come out <laughs> right. But you get what? It's a good thing you're not having kids. <laughs> That didn't come out the way I intended it to. Or did it? No. But I do think that her family did love her. I think they were probably terrified of her. We have nothing to make a basis on anything. Well, going by your logic, ma'am, if you think they were covering up 
for her murders, then they know she's a murderer. I'd be afraid. Sure, but then this comes back to the Dexter Morgan thing. Dexter's father clearly loved him. He knew he couldn't stop him from killing, but he wanted him to be safe. Would you think Harry is not a loving father? I think Dexter and Electra are two very different breeds. They're both murdering. Yeah, yeah, but I think they are two different types. True, but facts are the same. Serial killer, serial killer, parent protecting or not protecting. Well, protection is one thing. Fear is another. You can both love your child and fear them at the same time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so back in the present day here, we're getting real wooey-woo at this point. (laughs) I'm going to run out of synonyms at some point for wooey-woo. Electra can't bring herself to kill Matt to get him out of the way. Yes. The one person she can't kill is Matt. And Nobu joins in to break the tension. Yeah, they're a mess. They need an intervention. Stat. I think Nobu is the one who's trying to get an intervention happening over here. Yeah, can we get Bucky's therapist in here? I think she's the only one capable of de-escalating all of this and parsing these relationships. And she'd probably drop a lot of truth bombs on all of them. Oh, yeah. So Karen Page is now showing what is actually her greatest talent, uh, walking through the woods in heels. Yeah, this woman, she really needs to change her footwear. She's in so much trouble all the time. She's running all the time. I don't know how she doesn't have a sprained ankle. That's a really good point. We need to get her a good solid pair of sneakers. Yes. Yeah, so she's a little banged up here, but Schoonover is in pretty bad shape. Aw. I can't get over the name. (laughs) I just can't. Schoonover. So this asshole thinks he can run away from Frank Castle. Okay. Yeah. And and he's stupid enough to rub salt in the wounds. This is again one of those read the room situations. <laughs> yeah. People in the show seem to be really bad at. And at this moment, Matt's spirit enters Karen. <laughs> That is the only explanation I have for her complete 180. I think there's more to it than that. Schoonover says to Frank that, you idiot, you know, this isn't about the drug deal in the park. This is about Afghanistan, something that happened back there. And Karen is thinking about Frank. She knows that there's a big chance if Frank kills this guy, he'll never get the real truth. Yeah. But from Frank's perspective, it's not about that. It's about vengeance. Yes. Oh, I agree with you completely. Yeah. He doesn't care about why somebody tried to kill him. It's about his family. Yeah. Oh, I had no doubt this guy was going to have a bullet in his head. Oh, yeah, sure. And great line here from Bernthal. I'm already dead. Yeah. Yeah. When Karen tells him that if you do this, you know, you're dead to me. And he says, I'm already dead, which is true, you know, legally publicly he's already dead and internally emotionally he's already dead exactly and too when his body isn't id'd whatever the feds will just cover that up because they prefer him dead yeah but at this point the feds are not even involved no but it's eventually new york cops. yeah eventually yeah so frank can't help himself and man when he fired that gun i was like thank god shut him the fuck up that is why i like frank castle 
Straight to the point. He's efficient. Yes. Straight to the point. Matt would have punched him and asked him 20,000 different questions and left him to rise up again and continue doing what he was doing. Frank kills him and that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. So once Schoonover is dead, Frank goes looking around this cabin and finds what I can't describe as anything other than an arsenal behind a wall, Mm -hmm. along with body armor. For Frank, finding this arsenal is akin to me finding an electronics store. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Would that also be a backdoor pilot if you were to find that? It would be a pretty boring show, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, and oh, how effective is that twitchy trigger finger? Yeah, yeah. He's seeing all this stuff and his finger is just itching to do stuff. Kind of like how I would also want to see all these electronics and play with them and Mm -hmm. open them up and learn how they work. Do stuff. That's an interesting way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, he's never going to stop. And now he has a whole bunch of new toys. Yes, he does. And I wonder, you know, I think absolutely the vengeance is enough for Frank to kill Schoonover. But it also prevented Schoonover from ever being able to tell Frank the truth about that mission in Afghanistan. Yes, and that is something we find out about more in the Punisher series. Right, but it gives Frank reason to keep digging and keep killing. It gives him justification. And now we come to the finale where nothing comes to a head. Nothing comes to a head. Well, (laughs) someone loses theirs. (laughs) yes and that was well deserved i was tired of seeing this guy fall down and get back up again yeah yeah take your stupid face and get out of here yes but when we open here we see nobu standing over this uh resurrection chamber and we hear that the hand is hitting 20 targets in the city but we don't know why or what those are But they know that to find Electra and bring her into the fold, they got to take Matt out. Yep. He's a thorn in everyone's side. Yeah. And I think this sequence in Matt's apartment sums up him and Stick's relationship perfectly. On one hand, he's cleaning him up. And on the other, he has him tied to the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Stay put, old man. Yeah. If it were me, I wouldn't be cleaning him up at all. And Stick is spewing out his usual shtick here. Greater good, ancient war. But we don't know if he's right or wrong about this. So it's hard to know how to feel about him and his motives and his choices with Electra. I think this is actually really brilliantly done. In any other show, we would have been 100% on Stick's side, you know, with his shtick. And we would have completely agreed that, yes, we have to kill Electra. Because we know Electra through the season and we've come to understand her to a certain extent and almost care for her, we don't want her to die. And secondly, because Stick is such an unlikable character, we always automatically take what he has to say with a grain of salt, especially when he's so gung-ho and he has such tunnel vision about it. 
And plus, our main protagonist, who granted we don't really like at this point, is disagreeing with him. And that generally tends to be where the audience would go along. They want to go, they tend to go with the protagonist's line of thinking. No, see, I agree with you. I, I absolutely think it's brilliantly done, but for different reasons, because it's different for everyone. It, that line mm-hmm. is in a different place for everyone because I'm totally on Stick's side here. Because clearly she's something more here than human. And maybe it doesn't even matter what the actual truth is. It has more to do with the hand's perception and what they will do once they have her, all the harm they could cause. And just seeing those flashbacks and knowing what Electra is. I think Stick should have killed her as a kid. Like, I'd go back and kill baby Hitler, you know? Sorry, Rhodey, but I would. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. He should have killed her as a kid. But we also discussed earlier that maybe he didn't kill her because he wanted to keep an eye on her and perhaps the black sky would be reborn in another person's body he can't just keep going around killing babies right i mean i'm not willing to make that assumption yeah we don't know what it is and also later on in the episode we see that even though she's dead the hand is not quite done with her yet yeah yeah i got some things to say about that talk about dropping some balls yeah we'll get there (laughs) yeah so that's why It's very, very complicated. The situation has no right answer. And that's the hallmark of this show, in a nutshell. Now, Mm. Matt and Electra on the rooftop here, do you think she's considering killing herself? She's thinking about it. I don't know if she's quite there that she will do it, but it's crossed her mind for sure. Yeah, and... You know, Matt argues with her here that nobody gets to dictate who you are. And normally I agree with that. But with the supernatural element here, that clouds things even more. It does. And this is him in denial. He doesn't want to believe that there's something supernatural, that there's something bigger than him that he cannot handle. Yeah. So he's putting that perspective onto Electra. Yes. And... The deeper Matt's denial goes, the more he pushes me over to Frank's way of thinking. And at this point, to Electra's way yeah. of thinking. Yeah, start killing these assholes. Vampire yeah, style. I agree. Let's start staking some hearts, shall we? <laughs> Stake some hearts. Yeah, get pulp. some holy water. Yeah, holy water. Whatever you, whatever you got. At this point, Matt should probably just have a giant cross across his chest vampire style you know i just realized what matt murdoch is missing shouldn't he have a crucifix tattoo somewhere he should yeah mr cox maybe it's on his ass can we get on that oh no (laughs) no no that would be like spray painting a picasso no you don't do that you don't deface a work of art like that no Oh, okay. I was thinking about it in the other way around. You don't put a cross on an ass. Not, you don't deface the ass. His ass? Yeah. No, no, no. Never. Work of art. No. (laughs) I still say the flotation device is a good idea. 
Yet Matt is just ignoring everything right in front of his face. Dude, you are dealing with a guy who's come back from the dead multiple times and you think the American legal system can hold him and provide justice? Only a white man could possibly think this. At this point, I don't think it's got anything to do with race. Oh, no, it doesn't. But still. No, this is just Matt grasping at straws and there are no straws. In the end here, though, Elektra agrees to help Matt take down Nobu. Yes. Basically, he convinces her not to go to the dark side. Meanwhile, Foggy is out to dinner getting not quite a backdoor pilot, but another opportunity to uh, represent other vigilantes. Yes, and we meet Jerry Hogarth. A.K.A. the reason I will one day be forced to cover the the Matrix on our Patreon. (laughs) Yes, I was actually really happy to see her. She has a big part to play in Jessica Jones. And this season is essentially creating the Defenders universe. We get this connection with Jessica Jones, which was hinted at earlier in the season. And then obviously this whole storyline is leading to the Defenders and Claire being fired, giving her the opportunity to herd all these superhero sheep and bring them all together. So it's a miracle. Matt actually picks up the phone when Foggy calls. (laughs) I think that had more to do with Elektra giving him the phone saying, do you want to get that? He probably would have ignored it otherwise. You're probably right about that. Yeah. So Foggy's calling because Brett's in trouble. Somebody's roughed him up and he needs some legal advice. Yeah, but that's not the reason why Foggy's calling him. Yeah. Because Foggy's perfectly capable of handling the legalities without Matt and they're not partners anymore. The reason why Foggy's calling Matt is because whoever roughed Brett up wanted information on Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder who that could be. Yeah, so Brett's assailants were looking for files on everyone Daredevil has ever saved. And that's when I really yelped on the couch, oh my God, the 20 targets. And Karen's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Karen is like the top amongst all of them. The amount of time she's been saved, I think they may have a whole cabinet just for her. But what is amazing, and it's a testament to the writing, creative team behind the show, is of all these times when Karen is attacked, when she's in danger, she's never a damsel in distress. Yeah, she isn't. She does get saved a lot. Yeah. But she's not a damsel in distress fainting. Oh, can some wonderful man come and save me? Yeah. And I mean, plenty of men get saved on this show, too. True. And we see in the 20 targets that there's a healthy mix of men and women. Yes. And, you know, this is smart on Nobu's part. Cover all the bases. They don't know who Daredevil is, so they can't know if any of these people truly matter to him. Yeah. And clearly they've done their homework on Daredevil. They know that he has the savior complex. And if the people that he has saved are in danger and will be killed, he will essentially kill himself with the guilt. Yeah. And, you know, I really hope it's not as simple to turn off an ankle monitor as this guy makes it out to be on the bus here. (laughs) Yeah, he's the arms dealer that we see in the previous season and this season. Yeah, so I don't really mind so much when he gets his leg cut off. Almost. That's close enough. Doesn't get fully cut off. That's close enough. (laughs) 
And Matt is doing his best to basically echolocate Karen on the rooftop here, trying to pinpoint her voice amongst all the noise of New York and the other hostages with her. Yeah, he is panicking. Yeah. And that's not something we see Matt Murdock do very often. No. This is where everything is coming to bite him in the ass. This entire season, everything that happened, it was leading to this moment. Sorry, you said bite him in the ass and I, my mind went elsewhere for a moment. Sorry. <sighs> I think you need a flotation device. So the hand moves their hostages into this like dungeon of a building and they start taking out the cops who are responding to that ankle bracelet. Yeah. I have a problem with these ninjas here. Yeah. Look, they're two cops. They could have got them into the building, waited for like a few seconds till they walked in and then just slit their throats. The chances of one of them missing or not getting killing them immediately is far higher by going for a ranged attack. And that's exactly what happened. The other guy who spoke on the radio and told them that they're being shot at wouldn't have had that opportunity if they just slit their throats. Yeah, yeah, it gives Matt the opportunity to get the hostages out. Not only Matt, but the entire platoon of officers show up and cops and everything. Yeah. And Karen and Daredevil have a moment here when she gets freed. Come on now. I can't. Come on. I will give you Brett Mahoney. Okay. But Karen, how does Karen, yeah. the person who has been closer to Matt Murdock's mouth, than anybody not realize that's him and his voice his voice his you know lower half of his face his the way he's touching her yes. it doesn't make sense no. a random vigilante should not be all that emotionally involved with her and kind of be making heart eyes through the mask yeah big time and please can somebody Get Electra a goddamn hair tie. Yes, thank you. That's like fighting lesson number one. Don't let them grab your hair. I can't even record this show with my hair down. <laughs> I'm surprised she still managed to keep her hair that long at the end of the fight. Because with all the blades flying around, she should have just gotten a haircut. Yeah, you're not wrong. A very blunt cut it would be. Yeah. So Foggy and Karen are there watching this all go down as Matt and Electra try to deal with all these goons. And can I ask, does the Marriott have a room package for cults? Where are these guys staying? Can no one find the giant compound that they must have? The tunnels, abandoned railway tunnels. That's an awful lot of infrastructure. No one's noticed. All these Ikea deliveries to the sewer. Come on. <laughs> and now we come back to the will they, won't they of Matt and Electra. Ugh. And Matt decides, well, he doesn't want to be alone either. Yeah. At least finally he realizes that he's as fucked up as she is. Yes. Oh my God. What a cathartic moment that was when he says, without this, I'm not alive. Yeah. I'm free with you. Yeah. This is him finally admitting that being Daredevil is above everything else. Yes. 
But at the same time, Matt, like your problems, your issues, they're just going to follow you, buddy. You're going to find a new obsession and Electra is still going to need to kill because that's who she is and that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why they deserve each other. Yeah, so they decide as long as they survive this, they're going to take off and live happily ever after. I mean, it's a nice dream to have when you're about to die, you know, giving you something to fight for. Yeah. But it's not realistic. No, not at all. So this rooftop showdown, man, props to the fight coordinator on this show. Yeah, fantastically done. Yeah. And they have ample amount of space and lighting for this for this entire fight sequence. Yeah. And credit to Elodie Young, who looks like she did a good amount of her own stunts. Yeah. She clearly trained a lot for this. Oh, yeah. And we learn here that Electra has to be at least partly human because she is mortal. Mm-hmm. And she protects Matt from being stabbed. Yeah, and that's just not going to go well, is it? No. Solid death scene from her, too. Yes, she does a good job. And Matt is obviously heartbroken. And now he's not holding back. This is incredible. The way this is shot. Charlie Cox just fighting like a maniac here. No mask on. This roof lit up by the cops. It's fantastic. Yeah, at this point, nothing matters to him. And what a moment when we see Frank in the coat across the roof. Yes! Yeah, yeah. This was him trying out all his equipment. And he's shooting all these bad guys. It's fantastic. And we see the Punisher logo on his chest. Fantastic. And I really, truly thought to myself, what a nice gesture. <laughs> that is some really fucked up, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine moment. Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's more effective. Well, technically it isn't. It's Because Matt has always been in Frank's way. Yeah, but it's respect. It is. This is Frank Castle's version of flowers or a card. (laughs) But it's here, just here, that I wonder, now does he realize it's Matt? I think he recognized him for a second. Yeah. Probably. He he at least would have seen his face through the scope. Yeah. And I have no doubt he would keep his mouth shut. Mm -hmm. And goddamn, did he look awesome in that coat. Oh, he did. Yes, he did. I wish I was five inches taller just so I could wear a long leather jacket and pull it off. Okay. I even liked Electra's coat that she was wearing earlier to cover her costume. I literally had in my notes and skipped it, but you brought it up so I can't. Literally had, I bet Amy loves Electra's coat. Yeah. Yeah. It's sexy. I like it. And after all of this, somehow this fucker Nobu is still alive. Well, Stick's not having any of that. Yeah, I was so tired of seeing him open his eyes and just get up. That was the only time I was happy to see Stick on screen. Yes. Oh, my God. It felt awesome when he just took that sword, chopped that head right off. This time, you piece of shit, stay down. (laughs) And, you know, there's only a handful of old actors who could pull that off believably, Scott Glenn's one of them. Yeah. You know, I would say, like, Ed Harris is another. hmm Perfect button on the whole scene. Yep. All right, now here's where I have a problem. 
So we're at the cemetery. Matt and Stick have just finished fighting a supernatural cult that was resurrecting people from the dead. Why the fuck wouldn't you have Electra cremated? I know, right? It makes no sense. At least cut her head off before you bury her, at least. <laughs> Seriously, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I mean, if it's a matter of wills and paperwork, do what you gotta do to fudge that shit. You leave that body in there, what do you think is gonna happen? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe they could have just cremated her and then told her family, oh no, she died in a fire. It's not like they were around anyways. Yeah. And they might see it as a blessing, honestly. We don't know. Maybe. And, you know, seeing these two here together, I kind of want to see a sitcom of Matt and Stick living together as father and son in a retirement village. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be fun. I'm going to pause. So Karen and Foggy are trying to decompress here at Josie's. And... (laughs) The show always just gets me. I think I'm happy. And then they pull the rug out from under me so well because I see the two of them and think to myself, oh, I love Foggy. That's right. He's not going anywhere. Him and Karen have such a solid relationship. They're genuine friends. Oh, wait, he's been keeping a giant secret from her for such a long time. Yeah, he is, but it's not his place to tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's such a tricky thing. It's a testament to how great these performances are, that they can make you forget all about the shady shit that everyone's done. (laughs) Yeah, true. So Karen's still struggling with that piece she was supposed to be writing on Frank. And this is when Mitch tells her, like, it's right in front of you. Tell your story. Tell your truth. You're the only person who can tell it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love this narration, this voiceover that we get from Karen. There's so much truth into what she's writing here. Regular people are heroes to others all the time and just don't know it. That's true. You don't need to have superpowers to make a difference. No. And man, I teared up seeing Frank burn his house down. Yeah, this is him leaving Frank Castle behind. He is now the Punisher. Yeah. But before the house goes completely up in flames, he grabs a disc from behind a photo of his unit, takes it with him, Mm -hmm. just polishing off that backdoor pilot. (laughs) And I'll say it now because I want to end with Matt and Karen here that this also sets up the defenders, like Amy's been saying at the end, because, of course, Mm -hmm. since the body was still there, the hand digs up Electra and throws her in the resurrection chamber. Yes. And we'll see what happens then later when we cover the Defenders, whenever that happens. Yes. So we end here with Karen and Matt, who I want to strangle with his own tie, then shove it down his throat. Why such violence? (sighs) See, now I'm going to ask the question, but I already know the answer. Why does Matt decide to tell Karen now that he's Daredevil? Because now. He's realized he's all alone and he is fucked. Exactly. And he's being extremely unfair. He is. I have so many feelings about this. On one hand, 
from a positive point of view, I get where he's coming from. Life's too short. He does care very much about Karen. And he's finally understanding that if he wants to be with her, then he has to tell her the truth. But that's like maybe 10% of what's going on here. Yep. Because what's really happening is that option one died. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yes. His backup plan now needs to come into effect. Yeah. And I'll be damned if anybody fucking settles for Karen Page. You get that shit out of here right now. But here's the thing. Earlier in the season, before Elektra shows up, he wasn't settling. No, he wasn't. But now he is. Is he? Or was he deluding himself into thinking that Elektra is the one? Because clearly she isn't the one for him. I don't know if he knows it. I I don't know. And that's the beauty of this writing. That's the beauty of this character is that we don't know. So saying that Matt is settling for Karen or she's option number two would be a disservice both to Karen and Electra, but that doesn't make it any less shittier what Matt is doing. Yeah, and we, we really don't know what his motives are because he doesn't know. Because he refuses yes. to do that necessary introspection. But beyond that, the idea that he thinks he would have any chance to be with Karen after all of this lying, after treating her like such crap, is just mind-boggling. And he has to want to be with her, because why else tell her? Yeah, true. Unless he's planning to bring back Nelson and Murdoch and Paige, which doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, he could just walk out of her life. Since they're not working together anymore. Yeah. And that would be the healthy thing to do for Karen. Mm -hmm. Just get out of her life. Yeah. All he's given her now is a burden. Yeah. The burden of knowing that Foggy has lived with now. Mm -hmm. So in a way now Foggy and Karen can share the burden. It's good for Foggy to have someone to share it with, but it's unfair to Karen as well. But it was unfair to lie to her as well. Yep. Yeah, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, it's a shitty situation. But no matter how you slice it, it is entirely Matt's fault. Yep. And that really is season two in a nutshell. It is entirely (laughs) Matt's fault. Matt, you suck. And I still love him anyway. Because goddammit. Flotation device. I can't not. That's the thing. As <laughs> infuriated as I get, I still can't hate him. Yeah, I don't hate him either. No, and and of course that's knowing what everything that happens in season three. But that's just a credit to the writing, to Charlie Cox's performance, you know? Yeah. And I know throughout the series, I have been really hard on Matt, but it's deserved. It's deserved, yes. But the reason why I have been so pissy with him, so angry with the way he's behaving, is because I care. I won't go so far to say as I love him, but I certainly do care about him and 
Foggy and Karen and all these characters. And that is why you can't help but want the best for them. And Matt is a character who, he's a very complicated guy. He's a very tortured guy. And I kind of relate to that, not because I'm extremely Catholic or anything like that, but I do see he's carrying a burden and he has an immense amount of guilt that he has deserved or undeserved. And that is something that I have lived with for my whole life. And since I've been in therapy and I've been dealing with my emotions, seeing him is like making me realize the fuck was I thinking? And I want better for Matt. Well said. All right, everybody, that wraps up our coverage of Daredevil season two. But we have some housekeeping updates that we want to share with you guys. Yeah. So this episode is coming out on the 28th of March, which is my birthday. So next week on the 4th of April, we are celebrating our second anniversary. Yes. So we thought that would be the perfect time to launch our Patreon and invite you guys to join the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yep. So we're keeping things simple over here. We have a single tier on our Patreon page. Yes. So if you join the Sanctum every month, you will get exclusive access to a bonus episode on our Marvel-ish movies. So what are Marvel-ish movies? Marvel-ish movies are movies that happen to star Marvel actors. No matter how big or how small, because sometimes we just want to do a certain movie and we will use any justification to do it. Yes, I already have a few sneaky names added to the list. Mm -hmm. But to kick things off, everybody, we're pulling out the big guns. Because our first Marvelish movie dropping next week, April 4th, is Crimson Peak, starring Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain. Yes, and I had crimson tears falling down my cheeks. <laughs> yes, so Amy and I will mostly be going back and forth uh, between picks here, and we don't need to tell you who picked the first one. <laughs> if you don't know you need to listen to our other episodes. Yeah, there's no help from you if you haven't figured that out. So you will find the link to our Patreon page in the show notes, as well as on our website. Once you're a member, you will have access to our Marvelish Movies episodes as soon as they drop. But wait, there's more. Yes, it is serendipitous that also next week, April 4th, we begin our weekly coverage of Moon Knight, which drops, of course... This Wednesday, March 30th on Disney+. Plus. So if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, what are you waiting for? Come on, yeah. subscribe. Yeah, don't be late for Oscar Isaac. Yeah, don't be like Matt. Don't realize things too late. Come on. <laughs> All right. Whew. I think that about covers it. Yeah, that's a lot of homework. <laughs> Thanks to all you Adams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for our introduction to Mark Spector aka Moon Knight and whatever's going on with Ethan Hawke's hair <laughs> in the meantime come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams and for more content and our blog check out our website themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend hey. yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Did you forget yeah. who Blake Tower was? Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Took me a second. Sorry. To be fair, it's a weird name. Like it sounds like a, the name of a building. Like Mr. Murdoch will be attending the gala at the Blake Tower. I don't know why I'm British. I don't know why. Anytime you try to do something that is anything upper class, you suddenly become British. Well, I can't do it sounding American, sounding like myself. So 